Welcome to Season 8 of the Keeping Things Alive podcast out of Western New York. My name is Laura Evans. I'm a former environmental lawyer, current natural resources planner, animal lover, and gardener. I'm also the author of Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law, which is available as an ebook, paperback, and audiobook. The Keeping Things Alive podcast is here to explore the opportunities and challenges as we all live together on this beautiful, living, and interconnected planet Earth. Hello, welcome to another episode of Season 8 of the Keeping Things Alive podcast. Today is Friday, October 27th, 2023, and today is an exciting day because my goal is to be publishing two of the final interview episodes of this season of the Keeping Things Alive podcast. So this episode is going to have its own little introduction like I'm talking right now. And then the next episode that I share later today, it's just going to go right into it because I intentionally introduced that episode like while I was recording. So this one that I'm about to share with you is with my brother-in-law, Madison Rich. He is also a civil engineer And I have been wanting to have him on the podcast for a while now because he knows a lot about home energy efficiency and electrification, um, how to do it, the research behind it. And he's actually doing it in the house that he lives in with my sister. So as I've been exploring all these different sustainability topics, um, and it's all been somewhat theoretical and then, you know, applying them in my environmental planning or law jobs, but to really see someone that I know actually make these improvements to their house. I mean, maybe other parts of the country are moving along faster than Western New York, but I have to say that I just don't meet very many people that are actively electrifying their house or, you know, trying to get rid of fossil fuel sources in their house. And so I really wanted to share a conversation with Madison about all of the things that he's done, the why, the how, and encourage listeners to really consider all of the different options that he brings to the table. Um, I will say that, you know, in my book, Silent Seasons, I'm pretty critical of a lot of electrification technologies and not being very mindful of the number of resources that it takes to make the technology and how to dispose of them. That being said, there are a lot of products on the market right now that are so much cleaner and so much healthier for you and your home than the fossil fuel options and, you know, the old technologies that have been placed in our homes. And so I definitely acknowledge that I have not been a super big proponent of these types of things, but at the same time, like seeing Madison do them in his own life and seeing the benefits of them and then just comparing them to other places that I am where the technology is much older using fossil fuels and just, you know, that the world that I want to live in is a one that is cleaner and healthier and yeah, one that can, you know, can respond to climate change in a practical way. So yeah, I'm very excited to share this episode with you. And then 
Later today, I'm going to publish another episode. This one listeners may be more familiar with, but it is the voter ballot review with John Washington. So we once again met up and went through the ballot. And that will be my final conversation and interview of this season. Then I plan to publish a season eight wrap, um, W-R-A-P, later on, uh, probably after the election day. So give me a couple of weeks and mid-November, I will be putting a full cap on this season and going into, you know, the holidays and the new year, which I don't know, it's the end of October, so I'm not going to push our time that quickly ahead yet. There's still much more to go in 2023, but I just wanted to give you a bit of a heads up about what's happening and how this is almost over. And yeah, the just this episode, it's different from the other episodes in this season and often in this podcast. And instead of having some more of a freeform interview where I'm really trying to get to know like who is Madison? What is his background? And we do touch on that, but it's much more of a technical, like how to giving listeners pointers and ideas in order to take some of these uh, climate change action items into their own hands. And I really do appreciate, I just, one more note about this conversation is that A lot of times on this podcast, and I say this in the interview itself, but I have been very focused on systemic issues, historic injustices, and I don't want to shame people like individually for not doing enough. Like, do you recycle? Like that kind of thing. I think it's super harmful and not helpful. But instead of like, so that is one thing, but also um, we all... Like if there are people that are listening to this podcast and they do have the time, they do have the income and they do have the means to actually make changes in their homes, like if they own a home, like I don't right now. So, you know, there's just different levels of where people can go and yeah, meet them where they're at, I think. But if you do have the means to do this stuff, like they're really at at this point in in 2023 like with all of the especially if you're in New York state there's so many financial incentives there's so many programs there's a decent number of contractors that are are doing this uh, home electrification and efficiency work so i highly encourage you to listen to this episode you know find what works for you there are many different pointers at many different levels and just take what works for you and leave the rest So with all of that, please enjoy my conversation with Madison Rich. Hi, Madison. Welcome to the Keeping Things Alive podcast. Good to finally be on here. I know. This has been around for a long time. It has been around for a while. And actually, as I was driving over here, I thought about how, uh, well, right now you made the music like for the first couple of seasons and I've, yeah, redone it again. Um, Yeah. I mean, I remember when you were talking about starting the podcast and connecting you with my cousin to, right. to get microphones and everything set up like mm-hmm. how do you actually make this a reality and that yeah was, you know now you're what five seasons in or no, this is eight, eight seasons. Okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah a couple crazy. of them I've doubled up it's not like it's been eight years okay. so okay. um but yeah I had a couple uh double yeah. double seasons in a year but yeah no it's been going on for a while and yep I always appreciate your support 
Um, yep, because we are yep related by law, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> you are my brother-in-law. Um, yeah, I would love for you to just say a few things about yourself and your background. Today we're going to be talking about home energy efficiency and all that stuff. So yeah, kind of in that light, um, what is your background? So for work, um, I'm a civil engineer. I do a lot of um, municipal projects, a lot of utility projects, mostly water infrastructure, sanitary sewer, and, and then just general municipal improvements, roads and sidewalks. Um, but as far as this podcast goes, and actually talking about my personal experiences, a lot of this is just research I've done on my own. Um, bought this house in 2018. So been in here about five years and just slowly over the last five years have been watching a bunch of YouTube videos, reading books, doing listening to podcasts, doing research to make energy improvements on this this house in, in this climate and this specific house style. Just doing that type of research and Yeah. No, I'm really impressed with all that you've done. Um and it has been really fun to watch you um yeah, make the changes over time. I really like that about yeah, what you've done with this house and not I think just in life there's like a lot of pressure to like do everything all at once but I think you've been very like strategic and systematic about like what you can do today and then like making plans for the future so yeah and also just taking action at all Um, I know I told you this before but um, you know I hear so much about climate change and what can we do or whose responsibility is it or whatever and you are someone who's like legitimately like done it and so I really admire you for that it's great. It just it makes the most sense to me when whenever I do any type of research or learn about stuff the most obvious solution is is like all of these energy efficiency improvements. You just end up with a more comfortable home, it costs less, it's healthier. There's just so many reasons to do it that I'm always a little bit confused why more people aren't making these improvements in their house. Right, but right. But I think it's coming. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, okay, so, yeah, this, let's start with the big picture and the real, like, why are why are we here to talk about this and then why have you been making energy improvements to your house? Um, we can start off, yeah, I guess, yeah, why does energy consumption matter? <laughs> yeah, so this is, like, the heavy part of the podcast, but I, it, it'll get lighter, but... You know, big picture is why should we even care about this at all? And Mm -hmm. obviously people that listen to this podcast know that climate change is a huge issue. I would say, to put it lightly, it's the biggest threat humanity has ever faced. Um, It affects every single person on the planet, not just now, but all future generations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're in a position that you can do something about it, I think you should be doing something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I agree. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. The big picture. So why it is, it's about climate change and it's about how much energy we all use. And yeah, I think now's a good time for me to just say, like, I am very focused on like the systemic issues of this and I don't ever want to like individually like shame someone. However, like if you do have the means and the ability and 
all of that and so many people do like this because in 2019 new york so we're in new york state i mean that's pretty clear for most of my listeners but um yeah new york passed the climate leadership and community protection act in 2019 so they're actively trying to get their economy onto electrification patterns and reducing um, fossil fuel use to zero in uh, 2050, I believe, 2040. So yeah, this is all possible. And yeah, you're someone that is actually doing it. So yeah, climate change, it's huge. And yeah, it's all humans, all life. Um, And it, it has everything to do with how we use our energy, like both consuming it but then also like using it efficiently like those are kind of two different things so yeah right exactly so big picture is climate change that's the issue that's what we're trying to address on a lot of different levels today we're talking about just a personal level in your home what you can do to address it but everything comes back to greenhouse gas emissions greenhouse gas emissions are the cause of climate change most greenhouse gas emissions are tied to energy production Mm -hmm. and everything comes back to energy so it's all about using less energy and when you need to use energy using it more efficiently perfect yeah so what are these um four buckets of energy consumption um i don't want to skip around too much but i think it's yeah yeah no so that's kind of now we're like narrowing in dialing in um we're just If you're going to look at personal individual energy consumption, there's basically four big buckets where most of your energy is consumed. And some of these numbers come from a book that I highly recommend, really enjoyed. It's called Sustainable Energy Without the Hot Air. (laughs) And basically the motto of the book is numbers, not adjectives. Okay. It's written by a physicist from the UK, a physics professor. He did a really good job making the book approachable, but he brings everything back to numbers so you can tell what has the biggest impact. Right. And you know where to focus your energy. Exactly. Um, I was looking at your notes before this. I'm not sure if I'm skipping around, but I thought it was really interesting about like, you know, the practice of uh, unplugging your cell phone charger or something like that and how much energy you can save. Can yeah. you just speak to the numbers on that? Um, right. As a I mean, comparison? I actually just pulled a quote from the book, but okay. it's a perfect example of, you know, you, you hear a lot of stuff online and it's like, oh, if you, everybody unplugged their cell phone chargers, we would save so much energy and you could power 100,000 homes. And like, it all sounds great, but... Mm-hmm you really need to be skeptical about the numbers and you need to look at the numbers and be able to compare stuff across the board so you know what is the most important. Mm. But uh, you mean, here's the quote from the book. It says, all the energy saved in switching off your charger for one day is used up in one second of driving your car. <laughs> right. <laughs> the energy <laughs> saved by switching off your charger for an entire year is equal to the energy of a single hot bath. Yeah, right. So, mm-hmm. again, one of the things he says in the book, it's it's like bailing out the Titanic with a teaspoon. It's like, mm-hmm. don't focus on the things that are so insignificant. Put your energy towards stuff that's really going to make a dent. Yeah. Um, I like that. Yeah, it's so, so true. Um, yep. So that, that brings us back to the four big buckets for personal energy consumption. And again, in the book, he 
uh, converts everything to a consistent energy unit. Mm. So you can compare stuff across the board. Okay. Calories are the food we consume. That's an energy. Right. Driving our cars, you know, we use gasoline. That is energy. You can convert that. The electricity we use, everything can be converted back to a consistent energy unit. Mm. So you can compare apples to apples across right. the board. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but the four four big ones are flying. Um, that's a huge um, uh, energy waste. Um, 35 kilowatt hours per day is what that would use, like if you averaged it out over a year. Mm. So the units aren't important, but just think of that 35 number Okay. in relation to flying. Driving is about... 20 kilowatt hours per day averaged okay. out over the year. So obviously you can see that's another big bucket. Mm-hmm. Your diet is, you can affect about 10 kilowatt hours a day. Okay. So eating foods that use less energy to produce them. So basically avoiding meat, avoiding mm-hmm. red meat, or at least just eating less meat. Right, right. Because all of the processes that go into making that meat do use a lot of fossil fuels and energy. Right. Yeah. Most I, of our cropland in the U.S. is for um, animal feed. Right. And dairy and the, the animals to graze on. So mm-hmm. you got to think about it. The If you're going to eat a hamburger that cow has to go through its entire lifespan and eat for its entire lifespan Mm -hmm. for you to have one meal. Right. Versus all of the input into that, like all the plant input into Mm -hmm. that cow, if that could just be your food right, right off the bat. So exactly. Diet comes out to about 10 kilowatt hours a day. If you cut out red meat. Okay. So again, flying 35, driving 20, diet 10, mm-hmm. and then home energy use is around 32 kilowatt hours a day. Okay, so pretty close to flying. Pretty close to flying. Yeah. And that's, again, flying, that's just one flight a year. Oh, okay. That's one long haul flight per year. Okay, got so, it. Yeah, I mean, there's people that fly every day or week for business. And, and some people have to for have work. To. yeah, exactly. And some people have family across the country. My right. wife and I, we took a trip to France this yep. summer. Mm-hmm. It's not a hard and fast rule. You have to make these decisions for yourself and right. when you want to apply it. But I just think knowing the numbers is so important to help you make an informed decision so right. you know the cost of what you're doing. Exactly. And you know what to focus on if, and hopefully, yeah, if you want to reduce what you're consuming, you yeah, it makes more sense to go for the bigger numbers. Yeah. Versus unplugging your charger and giving yourself a pat on the back. It, it really yeah. didn't do much it's in a- the grand scheme of things. Not that... You should not do it, but you should just recognize that it's mm. a small impact. And, and you shouldn't stress about it. And then you shouldn't like exactly. beat yourself up about it. Like, oh, I forgot to unplug my charger again. It's yes. like, did you drive a minute? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate So, that. you know, now we we can see that the, the home energy use is a pretty big bucket. And then that yeah. kind of brings us full circle to what we're talking about today. Right, right. Exactly. Yep. So we are... We're sitting here in your home. I'm like looking at, yeah, your um, technology behind you to like kind of monitor things. We'll talk about that more. But yeah, I think. And then I know that you've also broken down like 
the home energy use into different categories as well because there's like a range of actions that you can do. So yep. why don't you start with the first one, which is habit changes, right? Or is there something else before that? No, no. well, I guess before that, I would just you know, kind of make the disclaimer and just give oh. a, a little bit of background on mm-hmm. all of these updates. So right. this is a, a 1940 Cape Cod okay. in the village of Hamburg. Yep, in I New York State. Yep. with my wife, Jess. Laura's yep. sister. Yep. She's great. Um, we've got, you know, two incomes, decent jobs. Mm-hmm. We're like middle income bracket. So yep. not all of these changes apply to everybody. But I think if you're in the position that you're able to do these, mm-hmm. they're very important things to do. Right. Yeah. And just to kind of put an extra point about like where you live. Um, yeah. If you are listening to this, not in Western New York, I mean, we have four seasons and it it's been yes. getting pretty hot in the summer and then very very cold in the winter so needing houses that can kind of work through all of the seasons is important and then yeah you 1940s like it's pretty you know it's getting up there in age but there's a lot of houses around here that are even older than that so we have a very old housing stock around here yes definitely yeah so if you have a newer home your solutions are going to be different if you live in the mm-hmm. southern u.s your solutions are going to be different exactly um, lots of things are going to be different so this is this is my experience in this individual home but i, I still think the general principles apply. To, yeah, to for sure. And the stages and the steps. Like, yeah, what is the low hanging fruit? What is the more like intense measures? So, yep. yeah. So, I guess we'll start with, yeah, the low hanging fruit um, habit changes. That's always the easiest place to start. It doesn't require any investment. You can just go ahead and make these habit changes. And it's always better to not need to use energy than to have to figure out a way to use that energy efficiently. Right. Yep. If you just eliminate it right off the bat, it's just, it's obviously that's the easiest solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so some habit changes are turning down the thermostat or keeping it higher in the summer if you've got air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wearing more layers in Wearing the Wearing more layers in the winter. I have my winter hat on like inside all day <laughs> right and i want to say like suffering is yeah, not, it's not a requirement but of it's it. comfort for me <laughs> yeah right you, yeah. but you don't you don't need to have your heat so you can have shorts on right all winter long mm-hmm. exactly a couple of degrees makes a surprisingly big difference yeah. um, before we get much farther i do want to go back to like a point before we start the habit changes which is about measuring things i see like you know because you've been able to measure things pretty well and sorry, I'm like going back a little bit, but what would be a suggestion for someone who would want to measure this? uh, Like, cause you probably would want, if you were starting out like a starting point of like what you, what it is at right now. And then to see if you're improving, you've been really good about that. So any tips for people to measure? Right. So I approach everything with an engineering mindset. I right. am an engineer. Yeah, I want to see I know. You the, got numbers. the numbers. Yeah. It's always about the numbers <laughs> yeah. for me. But in New York state, I think most states have a, a similar program, but you can get a free energy audit. Right. So someone will come to your house they'll do a blower door test that's probably the most important number you can get from that energy audit okay 
that is where I would start. If you're if you're thinking about this, that blower door test, get the uh, leakage of your house. Mm-hmm. That will inform a lot of decisions that you make okay. on your home improvements. Right. Yeah. Before we started uh, recording or earlier today, I was on the NYSERDA website, which is the New York State Energy Research Development Authority, and looking at their different programs. And they did have a lot of information about where people can get energy audits. So sorry, non-New Yorkers, but that you just look for energy audit in your state and private companies do it too private companies yeah do it. Mm-hmm. to be fair you get what you pay for the free True. energy audit <laughs> they're not making a lot of money no. on it they're gonna take come in time. quickly <laughs> yeah. and they're gonna just I mean, take give time you the schedule. Yeah. yeah they're just gonna give you a bullet point list of some stuff you can probably do right but you can also pay companies to do a much more in-depth mm-hmm. and give you uh, you know, smaller resolution steps that okay. you can take. Got it. That's so good. Yeah. I would say blower door as far as measuring, you know, we'll, we'll bring it up later on when we talk about air, air sealing, but that's, that's an important measurement. Um, I have an indoor air quality measuring device. So I've got one just in my main living space and one in my upstairs bedroom. It's really interesting to look at how different things impact that. Mm. And you're if measuring I'm, like particle, the PM, right? Or yeah, so it, it's a combined it? monitor. It measures okay. CO2, radon, VOCs, PM 2.5, so matter. particulate yeah. matter okay. um, under 2.5 microns. And it also measures temperature, uh, humidity, and pressure. So a oh, wow. lot of data from that one device. And you can see if we've got a lot of people over the carbon, the CO2 is going to go up. Right. So you crack a window. If we burn something in the kitchen, the PM 2.5 goes really high. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden the monitor turns red. It's telling you it's bad indoor quality. Right. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. It's at zero, zero PM right now, right? We're doing pretty good. I mean, yeah, I can show you some of the charts. Unfortunately, the, the audio listeners won't right, be able to see right. them, but tracks all the data over the year so after i've made some of these changes you can see the trends just drop off where the radon mm-hmm. was quite high for a long time the vocs were quite high for a long time as soon as i installed a mechanical ventilation system everything dropped off wow and is in super low levels yeah um, super healthy air which i spend a lot of time in my house exactly I think it's a, an important thing to focus on right indoor air quality yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely worth mentioning right now and not going down too far of a rabbit hole. But yeah, there's so many like environmental laws about outdoor air quality and we always focus on that. But really, I mean, if you start paying attention to the indoor air quality, which is where the majority of people spend their time, there's really not a lot of regulations, on, if any. And so, um, yeah, it can be No, there's not a lot rough. of regulations and most houses probably wouldn't meet the standards set the by the outs. Clean Air Act for outdoor air. <laughs> yeah. If you have gas appliances, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the number one causes of indoor air pollution. Exactly. You probably won't hit the standards mm-hmm. that 
uh, you know, industrial right. producers have to hit. Yeah. I've had a few friends that have taken indoor air quality te- or classes, excuse me, and then like all of their like scented candles are just thrown out like immediately. Yep. Candles, no candles <laughs> yeah, no in this candles. house. And <laughs> we still have some gas appliances, but we're, that's part of the process. Part of the of process. Yeah. Raising those out. So, okay. but again, yeah. measuring stuff. And then I also have a energy monitor on my... Uh, electric panel downstairs okay so i can see on every circuit how much power is is being drawn and i can look at that over a year so that's going to be really interesting a year from now after i switched my heating system to a heat pump it's all electric Mm -hmm. i can kind of a b comparison do a year of what i spent on gas versus a year of energy used to heat the house through electricity right compare those and I'm expecting it to be a lot lower. Yeah, right. And I'll just add, not only are you paying to heat your house, but you're also getting to cool it in the summer. So it's like, you didn't have that before. No, that <laughs> yeah. was a bonus. That was yeah. that was nice. That's yeah. a luxury for sure. Yeah, so. right. Which brings up a good point. I don't think all of these energy improvements are sacrifices. Mm-hmm. That used to be, I think, the pervasive mindset was you you need to give stuff up to be sustainable Mm -hmm. the technology has come so far you you really don't need to make sacrifices Mm -hmm. you need to make smart decisions but you don't need to make the same sacrifices that you used to you you can have a a cleaner cheaper healthier home yeah that's more comfortable too right for less money in the long run in the long run yes exactly no i appreciate that um okay well i we, I did not derail us, but I wanted to get into the measuring part. So then, yeah, the low-hanging fruit, the, what is this, the habit changes? Habit changes. Yeah, what, what are, like, the main ones? Yeah, again, so measuring stuff, everything for me is based on kind of numbers where the biggest impact is. Low-hanging fruit, turning down the thermostat, that's where you're going to have the biggest impact on your home mm-hmm. uh, energy use. Yeah. Even just two degrees, it makes a surprisingly large difference. Um, turn off the lights, you know, when you're not using them, that's one that everybody knows. Mm -hmm. Generally just try to consume less energy. Mm -hmm. Everything in your house that uses energy, just think about it. Like, do you need your AC unit plugged in all the time and fans going and TV Mm -hmm. on and music up and like, just use less energy when you can. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the summer, another like easy habit change, open the windows at night, let the cool air in, close them during the day, block out the sun and that thermal radiation during the day. And yeah. you can use just kind of nature's systems to keep your house cooler. Right. And you don't have to use energy to do that. That's just a simple habit change. I like it. All right. So moving on to passive energy improvements. Um, and yeah, I guess explaining this a, a little bit yeah i i see your list but yeah i'll let you just explain what they all mean <laughs> so it's kind of just a term i came up with just to describe this but basically what i mean by passive energy improvements is a one-time project a one-time investment to stop energy waste which is also you know wasting your money um such as air sealing your house adding insulation to your house, upgrading your windows, and, and maybe replacing um, doors that are drafty. So okay. it's, like, it's a one-time thing. 
and that will pay itself back and you'll forever get the benefits of that one-time investment. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what does insulation look like these days or does it depend on the area or like the type? But I know that you got, you all got like a bunch of like stuff blown up into your attic or something. Definitely depends. I think of like the pink, like, stuff that you can't touch because you'll get like splinters or something yeah, the but... fiberglass bat yeah insulation. yeah yeah so that's still very common okay one shortcoming with the fiberglass bats is it doesn't also do air sealing so you need mm. to air seal on top of that okay older homes weren't as focused on energy efficiency because mm-hmm. homes that are built in the 1970s gas is really cheap they just put an oversized furnace in and figure you'll be fine. Like right. it's going to cost you three extra dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Let's not, let's save on the insulation or exactly. save on the detailed air sealing. Yep. So even if you have the insulation, if you don't have air sealing, it's, it's basically like wearing a knit sweater outside in the winter. Right. Right. So the goal is to really seal up your whole house and, I think it's called the envelope or something like that, right? And that way yep. the air can keep circulating in and stay warm. But if you have that leakage, um, that's where it just starts to um, waste a lot. You know, you're just constantly heating, yeah. right? Instead of the biggest energy through. transfer in your house is just through air leaks. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, windows, doors. Windows, doors. And then. In my house, I chose to do closed cell spray foam insulation. Okay. So that that's a kills two birds with one stone. You get the air sealing benefits and mm-hmm. you get the insulation benefits. Okay. Yeah. What were the? Do you remember like the results of your energy audit? Like, were there particular places in this house that were leaky? Do you remember? It's okay if you don't. <laughs> just, no, just they kidding. they didn't um, have many recommendations. To be honest, they okay. said the windows are good. The okay. insulation is adequate. Okay. But they again, they gave me that blower door number, and mm. I was able to use that to size the okay. HVAC system for this house. Okay. So I was already pretty lucky. I was starting out with a pretty good mm-hmm. baseline, and I had I had that test done after we got the house mm-hmm. insulated and air sealed. Oh, okay, got it. So you don't have that like comparison. So I don't have the comparison, right. but I know that we hit a pretty good number. So we had 824 CFM at 50 pascals of pressure, which that's that's the baseline that they use for the test. They basically pressurize your house and then they can tell with the one the the blower door setup that they put just in your front door how much air is leaking out of your house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I the, I have seen like videos of it. Maybe I just need to post it because I, I know that most people don't know what the what this test is. But it yeah, they yeah. How do they like depressure? So you close all your windows <laughs> okay. and doors yep. and everything. Mm-hmm. And they have one. It's a giant fan mm-hmm. that builds. They just stick it in your front door in your door frame. And they've got some gadgets hooked up to it so they can see the pressure on the outside and on the inside. And they just are blowing that fan again. So they pressurize your house to 50 pascals, which is very, very light pressure. It's basically just like uh, your your breath is like almost at that okay. pressure level. It's, it's very light. But they can see how much is leaking out of your house. 
the the measurement for for my house was 824 cubic feet per minute okay was just disappearing through drafts and you know i see cracks in the walls and stuff um but generally that's a pretty good number because it's a a thousand square foot home so Mm -hmm. just a rule of thumb if your air leakage number that 824 cfm is less than the square footage of your house a thousand square foot okay it gets you in the ballpark it means you're doing pretty good you probably don't need to focus much more effort on that okay that makes sense okay Um, so we only did we only got the attic air sealed and then the basement rim joist air sealed that's where most of the cold air comes in and most of your hot air leaks out then we got it tested saw that it was good enough and we stopped there we didn't go after the walls or do anything else okay can you just briefly, like, what is air sealing? Air sealing is just what it sounds like. It's preventing drafts. Is it like a foam that they, like... It can be done a lot of different methods. Okay. On newer houses, you'll see the um, vapor and air barrier stapled to the outside. So it's just oh. like a basically a plastic-type membrane okay. that they staple on got the it. outside. It's caulking okay. around your windows and... Then for large surfaces, the the spray foam mm. can fill all of those cracks, and and you and air doesn't pass through the spray foam, so that, I see. that's another form of air sealing. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. All right. Anything more about passive energy improvements you want to bring up? No. So I think I'll just reemphasize. I would start with low hanging fruit, the habit changes, then move on to passive energy improvements. This is stuff. You're losing money if you're not making the passive energy improvements. Mm -hmm. You are paying extra on your heating bill that you will recoup in probably five years, maybe up to 10 years if your house is already pretty efficient. Mm -hmm. Most people are going to be in their house that long. The longer you wait on those passive energy improvements, you're just losing money. Yeah, right. And I guess this is also the chunk where it's like the comfortability too. Like when you have a insulated sealed in house that it doesn't require as much energy to heat it. And then also you're not like, you know, when you sit by a drafty window in the winter, like you get cold and uncomfortable like inside. So this is also a, a big comfort improvement area. Huge comfort improvement, yeah. health improvement. The mm-hmm. air that's coming into this house is controlled through mechanical ventilation. It's not coming in through the, wall cavities or through a moldy crawl space where Mm -hmm. you're kind of pulling in stuff that you don't want to be breathing in but that's how the air gets into your house it has to travel through those channels once you seal those off now you're in charge of what air is coming into your house okay again everything's all tied together health Mm -hmm. comfort um energy (laughs) energy efficiency yeah yeah exactly Obviously, that the climate change and energy efficiency, we started the show with that. That's a big motivator for me. But most of this technology wins out even if you take that out of the equation. Right. There's just yeah. there's no reason not to do it. Yeah. I'd, on that point, I definitely I had a conversation recently about climate change and just, yeah, it is like it resonates with many people. But also if you focused on human health um, and you know, clean water, clean air, that kind of thing. I mean, that like 
the climate change improvements, that's the natural like way to go like to address all of it. It's not like they're conflicting with each other. No, they're definitely not conflicting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And even if you're, you're focused on um, justice issues, climate change is tied to that. Mm-hmm. The most vulnerable populations are, are affected by climate change the most. Right. So if you make steps for this, you're helping that population of the Right. The world. So right. It's all, exactly. it's all tied together. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, that is, that's the big thing about climate change too, is like it impacts the most vulnerable people the most in the United States for sure. But then like also like all around the world and like island Everybody. nations. And it's like, it's a real, like the U S is a huge, even though like all of our, yeah, issues and disparities and inequities that are here, it is, it is beyond one country (laughs) yeah beyond one place yeah exactly all right so now we get into the i don't know is this the fun part but the the, the active investments this is the the, yeah the future part yeah the the technology portion so (laughs) i'm considering active investments um investments in the efficiency at the point of use so Upgrading your appliances, upgrading your HVAC system, switching to an electric car, anything where you're using energy actively, make an investment so that energy use is done efficiently. Mm-hmm. And moving towards electrification. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. Yes. So the overarching umbrella for all of these improvements is uh, the model is electrify everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That lets us get away from uh, being dependent on fossil fuels. Right. Get away from using natural gas in our homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess if we if we just you know dig into that point mm-hmm. a little bit, a reason to get away from natural gas again comes back to indoor air quality, but also uh, climate change. So methane in natural gas is uh, an extremely potent greenhouse gas right exactly i don't i haven't looked at the numbers in a while like how much more than co2 so i did i looked up the numbers before this and basically (laughs) they've developed a system it's uh, gwp global warming potential and that's Mm -hmm. a way to compare different greenhouse gas um, uh, gases uh, to each other and what their warming potential is mm. compared to carbon dioxide. Right. You you always hear people talk about carbon dioxide, yep. CO2 emissions. Mm-hmm. That's the baseline. That's where most of the warming is coming from. But all greenhouse gas emissions impact global warming. Right. Methane is a very potent one. So its GWP potential is 82.5. Okay. So that means... What is... Carbon dioxide's, you know. So carbon dioxide being the reference point, oh, it's one. It's one. Oh, so okay, okay. So it's a lot methane more, yeah. is eighty-two and a half times wow. more warming mm-hmm. than CO two for every molecule that's released into the atmosphere. Okay, yeah. So methane is something we really want to cut out, right, and not have yeah just spilling in the atmosphere. And I've definitely I remember like looking at you know, fracking operations and things like that. And they're, cause they're, you know, getting oil and natural gas, but then they're like releasing it and they're just like flaring it right on site. So like burning it up and out and yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's so scary. It is. It's scary. So that the, the entire natural gas infrastructure has a lot of associated leakage with it. So mm-hmm. just getting the natural gas to your house means that they're going to lose 8 to 10% of that mm. gas in the system before it even gets there. It's just going right out into the atmosphere. Yep. So back to the motto, electrify everything. The reason is getting away from fossil fuel sources, Mm -hmm. which in this area is predominantly natural gas for most people's Right, right. I'm sorry I keep adding on to it, but you just reminded me of um, way back in 2010, I was working for Earth Justice that summer and I was yeah, they were trying to decide whether or not to argue that natural gas is like a bridge fuel because they argued that it it's cleaner, right? It like it releases less CO2, but there was no mention or even understanding of methane in that moment. And I do remember yes. in about 2015 and 5 years later when I did learn about that and I just it, it, I just felt like my head exploded in that moment. Like, what? No, no. bridge fuel. Worse. Anybody that yeah. wants to talk about natural gas as a bridge fuel, they, it, it's yes, it's cleaner than coal. It's cleaner than other mm-hmm. things. It doesn't mean it's still not terrible. Like, yeah. we, we need to get past fossil yeah. fuel. We need to get to clean, renewable energy sources. And most of those numbers that you see, like you referenced, they're, they're cherry picked. They're not mm-hmm. looking at the entire point of extraction to point of mm-hmm. use energy cost of the natural gas fuel system yeah maybe the natural gas the new uh, fuel plant or energy plant is you know more efficient mm-hmm. but you can't just cherry pick that one number you got to look at the whole from extraction to use right so. right okay thank you yeah um, all right so can you name uh, some of the yeah I guess what are the active investments that you've put into this house or so if i'm jumping but yeah so far the first thing i started with was upgrading the hvac system that's probably the biggest energy user in the house and i had a gas furnace originally Mm -hmm. gas furnaces are the one i had is older so it was about 80 percent efficient there's new high efficiency gas furnaces that are about 95 percent efficient which those numbers sound pretty good until you compare it to a heat pump, which mm-hmm. is three to four hundred percent efficient. Okay, so I want you to break down what a heat pump is. Yeah. So That's when you cool. hear that three hundred percent efficiency, yeah, four hundred percent efficiency, yeah. it doesn't really make Sounds sense. Sounds great, but I don't know what it means. Yeah. How can you have over a hundred more energy than you're putting into the system? It's mm-hmm. Like defies logic. But basically, what it's doing is as the name implies, it's a heat pump. So it's pumping heat. It's transferring heat from one location to another location. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually generate the heat. Mm. So you can put input one unit of energy mm-hmm. and you can move three units of energy into your house with okay. that input. Okay. Where a gas furnace is you're generating that heat from, from... the fuel source. Got it. So theoretically you can never be more than 100 percent efficient mm-hmm. and you realistically can't be more than 95 percent efficient that's okay. they're kind of maxed out there so where is a heat pump getting its heat so a heat pump it works the same as an air conditioner mm. but it runs in reverse okay 
you have a heat pump in your fridge. If you put your hand at the back of your fridge, you'll feel warm air being blown out. Mm -hmm. That is pulling heat from inside your fridge and dumping it into your house. I see. So, and that's how it gets cold. And that's how it gets cold inside. Got it. So, it's, it's removing heat. It's not like adding cold. Exactly. Got so it. in the summer, when you've got your AC running, it's moving heat from inside your house outside. Mm. And then in the winter, it's pulling heat from outside inside your house, which mm-hmm. which also sounds like it shouldn't work. You know, right. we live in Buffalo, New York. We've got very, very cold winters. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of energy in the air outside. Just because it's cold to us, mm-hmm. there's still a ton of energy out there. Okay. If you convert, you know, zero degrees to Celsius or Fahrenheit to Kelvin, mm-hmm. the energy scale that zero is absolute zero. That means there's no energy in the system. Mm-hmm. I think zero degrees Celsius is like 273 degrees Kelvin. Okay. Okay. Basically, there's and a lot like of energy. And that's like 32 degrees Fahrenheit, right? that's like 32 right? degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of energy outside in the winter. We yeah. just don't perceive it that way. Right. Okay. And so you're telling me that, yeah, heat pumps are used in refrigerators. So this technology has been around for a long time then, right? It's been around for a long time. Okay. Um, a lot of people use it in the South. Um, Mm -hmm. it's been around forever because their heating systems, the older heat pump technology didn't perform well in cold climates Okay. because although there is heat available, it's a little bit harder to extract. Makes sense. So it's very popular in the South. Um, they've been around in Europe and Japan for a long time as the Mm -hmm. the primary heating system in houses. They're just, we're a little slow to adapt stuff in the U.S. Right. Yeah, sounds um, right. Okay, I know I know we have to keep moving through, but I do keep having more questions, and I'm just going to ask it. Yeah. But can you what what is a ground source heat pump then? Because you don't have the ground source heat pump; you have one that is above ground, right? So right. those are two different types that are possible. Yes. There's actually three different types that are possible. Okay. A lot of people when they call something geothermal what they're Mm. actually referring to is a ground source heat pump okay so that has refrigerant loops that go through the earth and you're you're basically pulling heat out of the earth into your house okay they're a lot more efficient than air source heat pumps because Mm -hmm. the ground temperature stays the same Mm. all year round true so it's always easy to extract energy from the earth it's a lot more consistent right it's just more difficult to install. It's just way more expensive, <laughs> expensive. for construction. Yeah. And the air source heat pumps have caught up where they're not mm. that far behind in efficiency. Mm. And for most people, definitely for residential use, the air source heat pumps make the most sense. And, and more specifically, what I have is a cold climate air source heat pump. Okay. They're specifically designed for cold climates so that they can function down to below freezing nice okay that makes Um, a lot of sense all right let's keep moving on to our technologies so what else do we have here so the other thing that i've done so far that was part of the hvac system upgrade was 
to install a an energy recovery ventilator, yes. an ERV. Okay. Maybe you've heard that term before. I want you to explain it to me because not it's a, really. Basically, it's, so it's a form of mechanical ventilation. Okay. They are becoming more and more popular as homes become more and more air sealed. Mm. It didn't used to be something that was focused on in the past because there was so much turnover oh. in your house because it was drafty and you just had an oversized furnace mm-hmm. to deal with those drafts. Okay. So your air was still, cir- it was like fresh air. Your air just is still circulating. Yeah. Not necessarily fresh air. It could be coming in through your crawl space, but there's True. new air coming into the mm. house from mm-hmm. somewhere. Right. So the mechanical ventilation is necessary once your home becomes air sealed to a certain tightness. Right. Okay. Otherwise, you'd just be breathing the same air for a long time. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, in the winter, when all the windows are closed, mm-hmm. the same air starts to build up. Okay. That makes but sense. But obviously, in the winter, you can't just open a window because it's freezing outside. Mm-hmm. So an ERV takes the air that's from the outside and mixes it with some air from inside your house, basically transfers the heat and transfers the moisture, Mm -hmm. and then it goes in and it becomes part of your system. But it does it in a very efficient manner. It's not that you have to bring that air in, run it through your heating system to heat it up to the same temperature. This ERV transfers, trades out air coming in with air going out. Okay. Did you get that at the same time as the heat pump? I got that at the same time as the heat pump. It's the same installer, generally a package deal. They're two separate elements, but they'll install them at the same time. Okay. That makes sense. Was there any other like restrictions with your house? Like, did you have to have a particular like ventilation? Like, I don't know, like... I don't, I don't know enough, but like, is stuff coming out of like your vents, like on the sides or like, cause I know some people have like baseboards or. So that's an important consideration when deciding on which type of heat pump system you want to install. Okay. I basically think of them in three categories. There's the fully ducted system, Mm -hmm. which is you have forced air in your house. That's what I had. I had a gas furnace. I have. Uh, supply vents in all of the rooms mm-hmm. and it's all connected to one central system got it so i can replace that with one main air handler at one central location got it the second type is local systems that supply a couple rooms okay um so you may install a heat pump that is hidden in a closet and has some vents that go out to the three rooms that Mm. touch that closet. Okay. Those are not quite as common. They're kind of like a hybrid method if you don't have Mm -hmm. a ducted system, but you also don't want to look at the um, wall units. Okay. The wall units are the most common. That's where most people see heat pumps. If you go to a hotel and you see mounted on the wall above the bed or above the window. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have seen those before. So they, those are heat pumps. Those are heat pumps. Okay. They call that a ductless mini split. Okay. So it's when you don't have a duct system, you put that in every room in the house. Mm. They're actually definitely cheaper to install. Mm-hmm. And th- now you have zoned control True. over every uh, room in, your, in house. your house. Okay. So if you've got, if you got the wall space, they're actually pretty nice, pretty good option. Okay. 
thanks. Um, yeah, you, it's so much information, <laughs> but it's really good. And I, I'm glad that you're breaking it all down um, for us. So, yeah, what's next? We got, so oh. That's everything that okay. I've done so far. I know okay. we're going a little bit long on the time here, but we can we can power through. Yeah, yeah, just real quick on additional plans like for this house or yeah other options that people could take so additional um active investments that i want to do for the appliances in this house are getting everything away from natural gas so the other gas appliances the stove and oven the hot water tank and the washer dryer okay and for the stove the induction stove is, is the most common mm-hmm. replacement. Induction stoves are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I have never liked cooking on electric stoves, but my one friend does have an induction stove, and it is, it is not an electric stove. So yes, yes, and that's a very important distinction to yeah. make. It was a bad PR move when the electric resistance ovens were stoves were put out because they mm. just are not good technology. Mm. They don't perform well. People think of electric stoves, they think of electric resistance with mm-hmm. that coil on top yeah. that heats up and it never cools down and you burn all your food and it's hard to yeah. clean off and everything. The induction stoves work differently. They work mm-hmm. through induction. So you need to have a magnetic pot or pan mm-hmm. and it heats the pan up, not the surface itself. So if you turned it on and you put your hand on top of an induction stove... you wouldn't feel anything. It's not Mm going to burn your hand. Mm -hmm. It's going to heat the pot. Right. Yeah. It would heat the rock in my hand, right, from when my dog pulled me over. Maybe if there's, like, some metal in that rock. It might heat that rock in your hand. Okay. Yeah. So we can do an experiment when I get the induction (laughs) stove. Yeah, right. See if the rock is magnetized. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, there was – there's – there's a lot of people where I know that the, the gas stove is a real sticking point. And mm-hmm. there was a very effective marketing campaign called Cooking with Gas. There was lots of ads about why mm. professional cooks use gas and why it's mm-hmm. better. Yep. But, again, going back to numbers, or I'm trying to find like a good data source. So I, I have a Consumer Reports subscription. I always look at that before I buy something. I want to see the numbers on something. And I'll just read this quick quote from Consumer Reports comparing induction stoves and gas stoves. And they say, the numbers don't lie. 80% of the induction ranges currently in their ratings perform well enough for us to recommend them compared with less than half of the gas ranges they've evaluated. All but one induction range gets their top score while not a single gas range earns that rating. All right. So I do want to say one thing quickly because I have talked about gas stoves before because I was in Buffalo and I lost electricity for three days and I felt like my gas stove kind of saved my life in some ways. So that was more, I mean, now that that happened, like, you know, I'm preparing for this next winter and I'm like thinking, you know, much more strategically about like how to keep myself safe and like, you know, it also has a lot to do with like where you're located and who your neighbors are and how much winter yes. clothes you have and like yep. what you have to be prepared. But yeah, I guess what do you have anything in mind for like a backup system for if you lost power? I would say 
first of all, if you've done the passive energy improvements, it will your be, house yep. is going to hold heat a lot longer. Yeah. So that's going to help you out. And they sell indoor safe propane heaters. Yep. Probably a good emergency supply Just to have, to have yeah. on hand mm-hmm. once you've converted your house to all electric. Yep. Yeah. I I really do like that version of i mean obviously electrify everything that is really important there are like and that would do so much to reduce the amount of greenhouse gases that are produced however like you know just use it when it's absolutely like survival mode or like whatever like you can have that sort of backup and then all the rest of your stuff is electric so i just want to make that point because i know that i have publicly talked about that like for sure and it was like of you know even now i'm just like that stove saved my life but meanwhile it was also like (laughs) destroying my air quality so yeah i um i appreciate i just wanted to add that no that's that's a really good point it's you got to look at all the pros and cons of any new technology that you're bringing into the house yeah Um, and and that is a trade-off the Mm -hmm. stoves use a lot of um, electricity, you probably can't have that running off of a generator. Right, right. Or you can't have that and a lot of other things running mm. off of a generator. Yeah, it was just the only thing that, like, was available. I mean, it didn't, like, my stove wasn't on, but I was able to, like, use a, like, even the self-lighting feature of it wouldn't work, but I was able to actually get a flame and, yep. I mean, honestly, like, heat up hot water on my stove. I mean, it was a it was a bad like energy and air quality situation, but it was way better than sitting in 32 degrees for three days. <laughs> and it was ultimately caused by severe weather. Exactly. I know. Oh my so gosh. It's like full circle. Exactly. And and there I was just like sitting there for three days, just freezing and thinking about all of that. Yeah, it was a it was a very um, life changing experience for me. I mean, I've obviously like grown up here and had all sorts of winter experiences but that was like a real like yeah Yeah. even the severity of the storm was a was a climate thing so yeah so one interesting (sighs) technology well i'll jump ahead a little bit yeah yeah keep going an electric car is Mm -hmm. is a potential solution for this problem that that you just raised Mm -hmm. a lot of new cars are coming out with v2h capabilities vehicle to home Mm -hmm. so they have massive batteries mm-hmm. inside the electric cars. Right. Even like a home battery storage system is maybe a third of the size of what's in your car. Mm-hmm. So you can now use that battery as backup for your house. Yep. If you have a power outage, you can run off that and you can run all of your all electric appliances. Right. Yeah. No, I think it is. I think taking, yeah, that holistic viewpoint of it and like, yeah, your home being like a system that yep. like kind of feeds off of each other and works off each other. I mean, it's yeah, I, I think it's really beautiful <laughs> uh, if possible. Like you know, I, I'll make a quick recommendation for a YouTube channel called yeah. uh, Nate the House Whisperer. Okay, he has a whole um, course called the Electrify Everything course, mm. and it does a really good job of of being an introductory level. Uh, discussion about your home as a system like you're talking Mm. about everything is connected so Mm -hmm. if you make one change you're going to affect all the different systems in your house so understanding the house as a system 
that's just a great, great resource. It's Nate the House Whisperer on okay. YouTube. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, we're definitely kind of moving towards the end and we haven't even talked about solar panels like ever, which I think is kind of amazing. Um, and I don't, I, I don't know if you want to say anything about solar panels. I know that's something in the future you want um, to include, but I think that's usually when I think about like homes and energy, I automatically go to solar panels and I just wanted to comment that we've already been talking for almost an hour and haven't mentioned them. So right. what would you like to say about that? So <laughs> it's on my list. I want to do it at some point. But right now, my electricity actually comes from a community solar farm. Oh, okay. So all the electricity I use is solar generated. Mm, how did you do that? So New York State has a, what they call deregulated energy market. Okay. So it's a way to limit the utility monopoly power. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's only one set of power lines that come to your house. True. For me, it's NYSEG. Mm-hmm. New York State Electric and Gas. They have the electric distribution lines that serve my house. They will always be the electricity distributor for me. Got it. But the deregulation piece means that you can choose who the supplier is. So mm. who's generating that electricity. Got it. Okay. A lot of people don't realize that, but you can go on to the NYSEG website or the National Grid website, mm-hmm. and you can select a community solar group as your energy supplier. Got it. Okay. And so I'm not literally receiving electrons mm-hmm. from that community solar farm, mm-hmm. but they're guaranteeing to put in, say, 100 kilowatt hours into the system. So for every, when I use 100 kilowatt hours. Yeah. So it balances okay. out. Right, right. So That's cool, yeah. I guess we should have put that in low-hanging fruit. That's something you can do yeah, right away. Yeah, true. And true. I, I think I got a $50 gift card in the mail for switching. Okay. There's, yeah, there's really yeah. no reason not to do it. Everything stays the same, and they guarantee you save uh, 3 to 5% on your energy bill because solar power is just so much cheaper to produce mm, that mm-hmm. they can incentivize you to switch over and guarantee that you're going to save money sweet that's awesome all right well i think oh yeah there's a whole (laughs) what financial incentive programs are available for people i'll mention really quickly like i i didn't do like the full amount of research i wanted to but if you are in new york state nicerta again the new york state energy research development authority they're the ones that have home energy efficiency programs. So you could, you know, Google that and you'll find their website. And then also federally, the Inflation Reduction Act created a lot of incentives for different states. And NYSERDA is implementing that federal program for New York State. So that happens a lot in environmental law where there will be a federal program or whatever, like the Clean Water Act, and then the states take it over. I think that's what's happening here. Um, So yeah, just kind of look up home energy efficiency programs, and it's changing all the time. So that's changing all the time. When I started looking at putting the heat pump in to a year later, when I actually installed it, the incentives were different, but Mm -hmm. they're getting better all the time. Mm -hmm. New York State's pushing, they want people to be more energy efficient and electrify everything. So yeah, the incentives are changing all the mm-hmm. time. The contractors are aware of what the incentives are mm-hmm. and will help you through that process. 
I didn't have to submit any paperwork or do anything. Mm-hmm. They, the contractor gets the rebate and passes it on. Okay. To me. So if you have a plumber come and install a new hot water tank, if you ask them about incentives for mm-hmm. a heat pump hot water tank, they'll be able to help. That you makes out. sense. It's probably the same with cars too. Like, do you? I, I, guess, cars, I, don't, I don't know, know for, about yeah, cars, but I, but yeah. I, yeah, I assume it's all handled through the dealership. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's look into that. That's interesting. Okay. So, winding down, good for yeah. final question, because I know that this this was definitely a different, more of like an informative episode, but I still want to ask you the question I ask everyone, which is, where do you experience in yourself or society a world that is dying and then one that is being born to take its place? Yeah, so I see the existing energy system that's been around for the last... I guess not even that long, but, you know, 100 years. Right. It, the, the fossil fuel energy system, the, the dirty carbon-emitting fuel sources, that industry is dying out. Yeah. The new technology is here. The economics makes sense to, to make the switch. Obviously, the fossil fuel companies are some of the most powerful companies or entities of any kind in the world, they have trillions of dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're not going down without a fight, but mm-hmm. but the pendulum is swinging the other direction. That industry is definitely, is definitely dying out. Yeah, I like that. And, yeah, taking its place is all of this stuff. So, so yeah, so yeah <laughs> the world that's being born to take its place, that's the counterpart. It's the clean energy transition. It's renewable sources um cleaner cheaper more equitable mm-hmm. um really I, I see this stuff picking up momentum i'm definitely much more optimistic than i was 10 years ago about climate change and about the energy transition it seems like everything is getting to a tipping point mm-hmm. i don't think we're on track for the targets from the Paris Climate Agreement, yeah. aiming for 1.5 degrees Celsius of mm-hmm. warming above pre-industrial levels. But we've also avoided, and we're, we're no longer heading for the worst case scenarios. Yeah, We're probably going to end up somewhere around 2 degrees, 2.2 degrees Celsius of warming. But things are improving we're on track to hit hit close to the parrots targets and um yeah generally that i I just see that transition really being born and really happening i'm very optimistic about it good i i hope you're right i i guess i have not been super optimistic but then i like COVID, COVID increased my optimism. I don't know. It's like kind of a weird thing, but I, I never knew that people could change so quickly and that the, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I need to, now that I'm a a student again and have access to all these academic articles, I need to look at um, a lot of those COVID studies that have happened. Like even just how quickly like that I noticed like the earth, like the air quality, the water quality, just in those like that, like month of drastic change i mean that was one silver lining is climate scientists saw the earth systems rebound 
way faster than they ever expected exactly. them to rebound yeah and are able to update some of the models saying if we can get our global emissions down mm-hmm. we can bring the system back you know a lot quicker than, exactly than previously thought right yeah to me it was always like yep just feedback loops and tipping points and once you get this far you'll never go back and then not only did I see that to be not true but I also saw people making such big changes so quickly so yeah um yeah I actually answer. have a couple kind of resource recommendations okay. yeah that's I perfect think i think ties is... in really well with uh okay the climate optimism all right piece. yeah yeah go for it so uh, one person who who's in this um field that i really respect a lot is hannah ritchie and she runs a website blog called sustainability by the numbers mm. and she has come away after looking at the data with with a much more optimistic but still realistic viewpoint of the world climate mm. system. Mm. And she's she's got some talks on it. I've heard her on some podcasts, and she's got a, a book coming out in January that I'm excited about, and it's called Not the End of the World, How We Can Be the First Generation to Build a Sustainable Planet. Mm. And... Yeah, basically her whole premise is she went to school and she studied this stuff and she thought it was all gloom and doom. And then she got out in the real world and started looking at numbers and realized everything's getting better. Mm. You know, um, deaths from natural disasters are going down. Life expectancy is going up. We're we're improving in all of these metrics. Mm. And even when it comes to climate change, the uh, prevailing thinking was always that we always need to have economic growth to keep our economy alive. Right. But we've seen that the actual carbon emissions associated with economic growth, they're decoupling. So they're slowing down. Mm. There's not as much as many carbon emissions and we're still getting economic growth. Okay. There's just a ton of metrics that she points out that if we if you look at the data, things are are getting better and yeah. it's just a really good. She's got a lot of really good um blogs. Yeah, I I've def- I mean, it's kind of like drawing parallels to it. And I feel like right now, like, yeah, the the world is very violent, just like right now in this moment. Um, but I have definitely read articles about like, just, yeah, like violence, um, actually, like, decreasing over time and how but like, perceptively, like, you can't, you can't see it. So I think that that is yeah, the human brain really does play tricks on you and the media plays tricks on us. And yeah, just really recognizing like how, yeah, privileged we all are to be living in this time and like how much opportunity there is to actually do something different than previous generations, I think is, it's really powerful and yeah, definitely keeps me going and making this podcast and yeah, seeing where it takes me. So I agree. Gloom and doom does not motivate me, but we're at the point in time where we have so many opportunities to make a really serious impact and it's it's definitely inspiring. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, do you have any more recommendations or parting thoughts? Yeah, I have a couple recommendations I just want to throw out there just kind of where I've gotten my information from. And I think that's always the the best thing to recommend to people is actively seek out more information and, Mm -hmm. and try to educate themselves. Um, the, the book I referenced earlier, Sustainable Energy uh, Without the Hot Air by David McKay. 
it's actually free online. He, it's a resource he puts out. He just wants people to have. Um, you can buy a hard copy uh, of the book, uh, but if you want to just read the text, it's free online. Oh, okay. Just very realistic and very optimistic. That's kind of the theme for all of these resources. When they f- start focusing on the number, they're they're actually pretty optimistic. Mm. Um, there's a, a podcast I really like, the Energy Transition Show. Um, yeah, keeping things alive, of course. <laughs> right, but for home podcast. efficiency, well, this episode you can learn about it. But yes. yeah, no, I think the the greater context. I appreciate that, but yeah, Energy Transition Show is great. I've it's, enjoyed yes. the episodes you've. Uh, it's very technical, but they look at the numbers and, and they come out with yeah. an optimistic viewpoint. And so. they talk about, I mean, numbers for sure, but also policy and just like kind of like what's going on in the news and policy. Yeah, I really do enjoy how thorough yeah. they are. Yeah, yep, up to date and thorough and mm-hmm. yeah, grounded in the real world. Yeah. Um, uh, Nate the House Whisperer, his YouTube channel, I referenced that earlier. That's a really good introduction if people want to start to electrify their house. That's that's the best place to start for sure. And then another company, Redwood Energy in California, they, they produced a pocket guide to all electric retrofits for a single family home. I reference that a lot for all of the improvements that I'm making. That's a really great company, really interesting. They do a lot of um, multifamily and low income developments in California. They're all all electric because it makes the most economic sense. So that that's a really cool company also to look at. Sweet. Well, thanks, Madison. I I really appreciate you doing this. Um, yeah, I like I said before, it's it is really inspiring to see you actively like make changes in your house, and I I hope that a lot more people uh, follow suit and realize that it's possible. So thank you. Possible and doesn't require much sacrifice you'll end up with a better house you'll be happier if you do it yeah thank you thanks for uh yeah i'm glad to finally be on the podcast this was fun yeah (laughs) thanks thank you for listening to the keeping things alive podcast for more information about sustainability this podcast and my book silent seasons chasing sustainability through the law please visit www.keepingthingsalive.org